word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple. Lord, we're simple people today. Would you, by your grace, enlighten us? And as you enlighten us, enliven us, Lord, with the same spirit that we see Jesus filled with as he stands up to declare your word. Lord, help me, help us as we speak and as we listen today, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So, for years, <clears throat> in this country, we've had a queen. <laughs> um, and since, Elith since, Elith is li since Liz's recent death, we've now had a king. Right? And I I'm astounded that they kept it masculine and feminine, and they kept it binary. They didn't switch to the whole gender neutral thing. I'm shocked. Elizabeth was a queen because she was a woman. Elizabeth, Char or should I say Charlie's a man and he's a king. I'm, I remember I used to work in the post office and they used to call me a postman. But since time's passed now, it's not a postman, it's a postperson. Because how many of you know they're postwomen, right? <laughs> and um, if, you're a football, if you're a football person, I nearly said football man. <laughs> if you're a football person and you like football, you might have noticed that the person who's the best player on the, uh, for the game is no longer called um, what? No, he's not called a man of the match no more. He's called a player of the match because women's football is so massive. So I'm surprised that they didn't call the queen keen or the king the queen. You can think about that as on your way home. Um, anyway, Charles, how many of you know, maybe the king of the British realm but we're going to argue today that Jesus is the king of the universe. Amen. Jesus the king, the true defender of the faith. If you're not aware of it, that is the title for King Charles, the defender of the faith. And, you know, we pray that he would begin to defend the faith. Um, and you can take note from Luke chapter 4, because Luke chapter 4 will give him some real key tips on how to do that as Jesus, the ultimate king and true defender, defends the faith. Now, a big part of Luke's aim as the author of this book um, is for the readers to have confidence in Jesus. It, if Jesus is humanity's only hope, as we sang earlier, the question is, can we have confidence in him? If you go to that next slide for me, brother. Well, in... Luke's trying to give us that confidence. In chapter 1, verse 4, he writes, doesn't he, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught about this Jesus, this king. And this is going to tremendously help us, isn't it? As, as much as it helped those um, early readers in the first century, um, we see confirmation about the authenticity of Jesus. If you like, Luke's gospel is like Jesus' CV with references. Um, Luke chapter 3, we see um, with regards to John the Baptist, and he says, speaking as a prophet, he came to prepare the way for who? The one who is called the Lord, which means master, curious, king, ruler. And then um, a little bit later, we hear not just a human speak in regards to Jesus, we hear um, not just the testimony of a prophet or the testimony of eyewitnesses, but we hear from God the Father himself speaking from heaven at Jesus' baptism, right? A voice 
came from heaven saying, you, speaking of Jesus, are my beloved son and you, in you, I am well pleased. I'm well pleased. That's, that's a bit of an understatement, the way it's phrased. Like the father is very excited at Jesus, particularly at this moment in time. Our text today <clears throat> can be split into two simple sections. And it's basically um, verse 14 to 30 is in Nazareth. And then verse 31 to 44 is going to be based in Capernaum. Capernaum. Um, if you could just put that next slide up for me. If you're not so good with your geography, um, I just, I've got a map here. Um, as you can see, Israel is split up into three provinces, um, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. I'm not sure if you know, uh, just as a throwaway comment, Jamaica is also an island that's split up into three provinces. Anybody know the three provinces? Cornwall, Middlesex, and Surrey. Those are the three provinces in Jamaica. Yeah, facts, true facts. And, um, and then you've got little um, provinces within that. Israel is the same. Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, and Galilee in the north. And Nazareth and Capernaum are both up in the north. Are both up in the north. And it's, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a little bit like Bolton and Stockport in Manchester. And then you've got London in the south. In Israel, you've got, you've got, you've got these two towns, Capernaum and Nazareth. Um, compared to Jerusalem that's in the south, the capital. Jesus, the king, true defender of the faith. He's starting his, his kingly campaign in the backwaters of Galilee. You remember what they said about Galilee? They were like, Galilee? Can anything good come from Galilee? I don't mean to offend you if you're from up north, but it'd be like saying, like, Liverpool. <laughs> Any Liverpool fans? I don't know, supporters. Oh, my boy's Mark. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Mark's a Liverpool supporter. Can anything good come from Liverpool? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not saying nothing in it because you know this season is true. There ain't nothing good coming from Liverpool, but it's all right. Next, it all, it all, it's mad, isn't it? In football, everything goes back to zero in a few weeks' time. It's mad. Um, <clears throat> but Nazareth, this is where Jesus comes from. He's from up north. And um, you might say, <clears throat> okay, well, okay, you're saying Jesus is the king, so what? Well, I hope to draw out at least, uh, draw out at least four things um, in answer to your question. First of all, what? What is it that Jesus came to do? Um, two, when? When did he come to do it? Number three, who did he do it for? And number four, how will Jesus do? That is the important and vital work that he's an anointed and appointed to do. What, when, who, and how? So Jesus is approximately 30 years of age. And he's a popular public speaker at this point in time who has been teaching in the local synagogues. Um, go to that next slide for me, brother. <clears throat> Starting at verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth, note, where he had been brought up. Right? And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on a Sabbath day. Can you see Jesus went to church regularly? Um, how many of you know if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to follow Jesus? And he went to church. Someone said to me, a couple of people said to me today, where you been? Because <laughs> I had been here for about four weeks. And I was sharing um, with a couple of people that um, just been on a little mission. Um, 
And um, I'm, I don't want to hot him up, but my cousin Lloyd is here today. And we've been visiting other churches because he lives quite o- over there up in Nazareth. He lives in North London, in Edmonton. <laughs> Man lives in Edmonton. And we're trying to find, trying to find a, a church for him. And, um, but praise God, he's here today. And um, it's, a, it's a joy to my heart for him to be here with us. Welcome, cuz. <clears throat> and so Jesus is, is, is at church, but it's on, a, it's on Sabbath, so it's on a Saturday, right? Which is a Sabbath. And it says, he stood up a little bit like me, if you like. He stood up to read. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, because remember, they never had chapters and verses. Like, you really had to know your Bible back in them days, quote, unquote, because for you to find a section, you needed to know where it was. And anyway, this section is found um, where it's written, and Jesus reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim for the third time the year of the Lord's favor, proclaim good news, proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the what? This is the when, for whom, and for how. And this, in verse 18 and 19, on my slide, is actually a quote from the Old Testament. Right? It's from the prophet Isaiah, that is chapter 61, who 700 years before Jesus even comes on the scene, Isaiah is prophesying about this coming king. This righteous king, God's righteous king, who would show up at at some point in the future. And they had kings, a number of kings in Judah and in Israel, but these kings, as good or as bad as they were often, I should say as bad and sometimes as good as they were, they they always fell short of the mark. And And if you can appreciate it, Israel were constantly saying, Boy, are we ever going to get a king that's going to reign in full righteousness? Just like they said, are we ever going to have a priest who can continue in a priesthood successively, consistently, and persistently without dying all the time? Could we have a judge, like in the time of judges, who would, who would rule us fairly, righteously, who doesn't fall and fail like a Jephthah, like a, a, a Samson? Well, at last, here he is. And you may have recently heard John the Baptist point at Jesus and say, behold, here he is. He's the king. But the way that John refers to him, I don't have time to explain, but he points to Jesus, and here we hear Jesus himself say, I'm here. I've arrived. Jesus says, after reading it, that this, verse 18, is, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Now, this is biblical language um, describing a coronation, would you believe it or not? 
which took place for all of the Old Testament kings, and it still even takes place today for modern-day kings. I don't know if you caught it. Um, Pastor, if you go to that next slide for me. I actually didn't watch the coronation, not because I'm hating, it's because I think I was painting. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, sadly, I wasn't out with my, my flag waving. Um, and it was, it was raining that day as well. It was wet that day. Anyway, um, with regards to the coronation of King Charles, the anointing, let me just read uh, just a section. You can actually see this on the coronation website. The anointing, nope. The anointing takes place before the investiture and crowning of his majesty. The dean of Westminster pours holy oil from the ampulla, that's the container, into the coronation spoon, and the Archbishop of Canterbury anoints the sovereign on his hands, chest, and head. It has historically been regarded as a moment between the sovereign and God. The Archbishop of Canterbury goes on saying, since beginning the planning for the coronation, my desire has been for a new coronation oil to be produced using olive oil from the Mount of Olives. This demonstrates the deep historic link between the coronation, the Bible, and the Holy Land. From, this, is the, this, is the, this is the Archbishop of Canterbury at the, at the, at, at, at the coronation. He says, this demonstrates the historic link between the coronation, the Bible, and the Holy Land. Yo, Charlie, like, if you're, you want, you're, you're the defender of the faith, Lord, help him. Help him to understand this history. Lord, help him to reflect on what happened on that day and, 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 and the fact that the significance of the fact that it's linked to the Bible and, and the Holy Land. From ancient kings through to the present day, monarchs have been anointed with oil from this sacred place as we prepare to anoint the king and the queen consort. consort I pray that they would be guided and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Now, you're not going to hear Sky News feature and focus on that. But it happened. It took place. And we praise God for that. Because you never know how the Lord can be working in the background. Amen. I ain't got time. Remember when David was set apart to be king? He was anointed with oil by who? The prophet Samuel. Anointed him with oil. Then later in 2 Samuel, um, a little bit after David's anointing and he had become king. We see a prophecy about the future king. Because David comes out and says, Lord, I want, I'm going to, you know what? He looked at his triple glazed palace window um, that he had built, took, took years to build. And he was looking at where God was living. And God was living at that time in a tabernacle or in a tent. And he's living in this plush palace. And, and he looked and he thought, wait a minute, it's not good that God's living in it. Like, we go to visit God. Like, you come to my yard, big, big doors, and come up to my house. It's a palace. And you go to God's house, and it's a, you know them curtain in the, in the hospital? That's where God's living, in a, in a tent. And David said, Lord, I'm going to, it's, it's not. He goes, Lord, I'm going to build you a house. And the prophet's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Prophet goes home, goes to bed, gets up. Um, in the middle of the night, the Lord wakes him up and says, yo, Samuel. You know David's going to build this house. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to do everything that is in his heart to do. And the, the Lord said, but who told you that I wanted him to build me a house? And the prophet's like, oh. <laughs> oh. 
It just sounded like a good idea at the time. The Lord was like, yeah, yeah. It's a good idea, but it's not a good idea. You go and tell David that I said, you know what, David? It's not a bad idea that you want to build me a house, but I've got a better idea. How about I build a house for you? And that's the context of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in this prophecy, God says, I'm going to build a house for you. But it's not just a physical house. It's a spiritual house. 1 Peter 2 says, we are living stones built together. We make up a spiritual house. We are that temple. We are now the temple of God. One of the things me and my cousin was talking about is the fact that the the church is not a building. The church is the people. Right? So if God's going to build a house, a temple that's made of people, it can't be the building. It's you, it's me, it's us. We are the temple of God. And here's the promise in 2 Samuel 7. God says, I will raise, not just a house, watch. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you, David, right? Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, we read earlier in Luke the genealogy of Jesus. And guess who you can trace the genealogy of Jesus back to? King David. And then you can trace it back to Abraham. And you can trace it back to Adam. But my point is, Jesus is the great, 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 great grandson of David. And the promise here, God says, verse 13, He shall build a He, your son, your great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, not temporarily, but forever. I will be a father to him and he shall be to me a son. Who does that sound like? It's Jesus. And here he is. And every one of the Jewish religious leaders understood that these prophecies were references about the coming Messiah. And everyone in the synagogue where Jesus is declaring this for the first time, everyone in the synagogue knew that. They knew that, wait a minute, these verses that you're reading about, be careful, you know, because we know who that's talking about. Jesus says, yeah, I say it with chess. It's about me. (laughs) It's It's an ancient prophecy, not just about a king, for there were many kings before and after. But this is about the king, the king of the kingdom of God, God's king, God's ultimate king, Jesus, who's going to be the king of all kings. Next slide, please, Eve. Notice, Jesus isn't anointed just with oil. Right? Can you see what he's anointed with? In verse 18, he's anointed with the spirit and with power. Do you remember at his baptism a few weeks ago? Um, I'm not sure, I, I can't remember if this was mentioned, but um, Luke is the only one that mentions this specifically. They all talk, all the Gospels talk about his baptism, apart from John, I think. They talk about his baptism, and it says he's in the water, the Holy Spirit comes, is coming down. So God speaks from heaven, like I said earlier, and the Holy Spirit comes down how? Descended as a dove. Every time you see or hear a picture of Jesus' baptism, you think about a dove flattering down. Luke is the only one that says he came down in bodily form as a dove. The Holy Spirit 
came down on Jesus, not as a, a dove flittering and flattering, even though that's the picture that we often get, a dove, peace, right? No, it says in Luke that the Holy Spirit came down in bodily form. Like you saw a, a body come down from the sky into Jesus. Anybody seen, um, what's that film with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Where Predator. And you see this thing in the bushes flashing. You know what I mean? And you think, wow, what is that? It ain't got, it's, it's got form, but it's, it's, you can see through it. And Predator's, Predator, Predator's got locks. <laughs> Maybe Jesus had locks. I don't know. But we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's, and, but I'm, my point is he came down in bodily form. And for me, that's just a different picture to seeing a dove flat. And he come down a bit, you know, I say a bit, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but he come down, you know, like Predator had some power. Everyone was scared of him. You've got one of Schwarzenegger running for his life from Predator. I'm saying Holy Spirit come down in power in Jesus. And it's a bit of a picture of the supernatural spiritual realm, which is invisible, but it's real, touching and coming into contact with this physical realm. At Jesus' baptism, Jesus is anointed, but with the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Old Testament picture of oil is actually a picture pointing to the Holy Spirit. And here we see the culmination, the real fulfillment of all that that pointed to. And the rest of this prophecy doesn't just speak about who the king is. It also speaks about what the king will do. The first thing that we see the king do is bring a proclamation. It's an announcement. Just like earlier in chapter 2 at Jesus' birth, remember we heard from the angels. Um, it's not there. I'm going to read it from here. It says, and the angel, verse 10, um, said, said to them, Fear not. Remember when the angel appeared to Mary and the shepherds? He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. How many of you know this is not just for Christmas, right? It says, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we heard that from the angels. That's a reference, right? Here's another two more references, one from Simeon and Anna, to prove the validity of who Jesus is, to give us certainty, says Luke. Simeon says, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. We'll come back to that in a minute. And for, and for glory to your people, Israel. And that was Simeon. Now Anna in verse 38. And coming up from that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption. Here's the one that's going to bring it in its fullness. That's another, that's, oh, that's another, there's bare references to this. Oh, here's another one. In Luke chapter 3, we then hear from John the Baptist in his inimitable style, right? Verse 2 says, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance, like Pastor E said earlier, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. And if you know anything about the Old Testament prophets, they call Isaiah the Mount Everest of prophets. Because most of the prophecies you read in your New Testament come from him. Not all of them, 
but most of them come from Isaiah. He has the most New Testament quotes. And, and here it is, Isaiah 40. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is about John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Why? Because he's the Lord and he's coming. Verse 5. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I'm saying this is all pointing to a major a major occurrence, a major, ha this is a big deal. And like, do you, you know the song that we sing, is it at Christmas? Hark the, herald, Hark the herald angels sing. The angels were heralding something. Like, like, like heralds, the angels, but then also Simeon and Anna and, and now John the Baptist. Can you hear the announcement being heralded? It's like... It's an announcement. And that's what the gospel is. It's good news speaking of the one in whom we will conquer. Amen. The king is the one who fights for his people. And then here comes Jesus. <laughs> the one who's going to fight for his people like a boxer making his way into the ring. Have you anyone ever seen Warrior? You see, my man's like this. And all. My man can't wait to get in there. And you see him coming down. And he comes into the ring. And one punch just takes out the brother. And he just turns around and comes out the ring. Warrior. If you ain't seen that film, is that a good film to watch? Is that a good, is that a good film to encourage people in church to watch? I don't know. I think it's a banging film because you know what? To, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there's an, there's an incredible moment of forgiveness in the film that made me cry. And I mean, living eye water. I really, I, I, I was bawling. There's a moment. If you ain't watched, if you watched it, you know what I mean? The, the bit with his dad. And if, spoiler, I should have said spoiler alert. Um, but Jesus, the warrior king, you know, here he comes. Into, he's coming down into the ring. You may have famously heard Muhammad Ali talk about the fact that he was the king. He was the greatest. And in one sense, in a small sense, he was. And he said it with chess. You remember, Muhammad, no one ever said it like Muhammad Ali, boy. But nah, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the greatest. And Jesus says it with chess. And he can because it's true. Amen. He's not being arrogant. It's, it's, it's just true. And there have and there have been many contenders and pretenders to the throne. Hitler, Caesar, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh. But those are all small fry compared to the real pretender, the real contender to the throne. The Bible calls him the adversary. Who's that? Who is the real enemy of God? The one who has been in who's been influencing all human contenders for time immemorial. The invisible one who has been contending with God from the beginning of this book, from the beginning of time. Who's that? It's the devil. But we'll come back to him in a minute, or his minions at least. Okay, this announcement, this proclamation, this gospel, this good news, who is it for? Look at verse 18. 
Can you see it? Who is this good news for? Verse 18 is for the poor. Now, before we move on, who is the poor? <clears throat> well, now I could do a whole message on this. This is deep, but I'm going to try and keep it simple. And it doesn't take away from the fact that Luke does focus very often on the marginalized, on the disenfranchised, on women, on um, those who are sick, those who are poor, financially speaking. Um, gen thank you, my brother. Thank you. And also the Gentiles. This doesn't take away from that, but this word poor, in the context, and we have to keep it in its context. Jack, Yaakov Prash, remember, used to talk about and Lieben. You need to keep it in its and Lieben. We can look at that word and just think, oh, I know what the word poor means. But what does it mean to Isaiah? Well, in the context of Isaiah's prophecy, the poor are not just those who are disenfranchised, those without money, those without status. Although it includes them, it more significantly describes, no, God's people who were judged because of their sin and were taken into captivity. Therefore, the true meaning of the poor here in Luke similarly describes people today, or at least in that day, and is true of people today, who have been judged by God because of their sin and have been taken into spiritual captivity. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. He wasn't just talking about those that don't have money and don't have food to eat. See, those who have been taken into spiritual captivity. That's why the next part of our verse speaks about liberty to the captives. See, Paul the Apostle, who was a later herald for the king, writing to Christians about how they should proclaim the gospel to the poor, that is to the poor in spirit, to the unsaved. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, this is Paul speaking to believers as believers relate to those who are spiritually poor. Verse 22, he says, Believers, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Pursue faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, you, the, the disciple, the, the, the one who's heralding the good news, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be noticed, kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Verse 25, opponents <clears throat> must be gently instructed, not shouted at and screamed at. It, notice, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Can you see who the poor is? Can you see it describes those who are captive by the devil to do his will? People today, notice, who have been judged by God because of their sin. You know, people who are walking around, people outside this building who've never heard the gospel, they, they, they don't realize that they are not just going to be judged. They already have been judged. 
See, that's one of the reasons you and me were quick to accept Christ when we did, right? When we realized, raw. You see, John 3.16 talks about the fact that God so loved the world. But John 3.17 and 18 goes on to talk about God's judgment was hanging over. God's judgment hangs over anyone that doesn't believe in the Son and has eternal life. And therefore, we preach the gospel. Because people don't know that yes, they will face judgment, but they have already faced judgment in that they, they, are now, they are separated from God. And that's a part of the judgment. I was walking around up until the time I was 22 thinking, I'm not that bad. You know what I'm saying? I've never raped anyone. I've never murdered anyone. I'm, I'm not that. Them, them people are really bad. I'm not that bad. And then I heard the gospel and says, all have sinned and fallen short of the... Now, Robert, you might think that you're not on the far end of the spectrum. Fair enough. But you're still at the wrong end of the spectrum, although you're not right at the end. You're on the wrong side of the line, Robert. Because all have sinned. I, oh, I, I, I do this often when I, when I share the gospel. Put your hand up if you've never sinned. Never do you see. Anyone who's listening soberly will never put their hand up. Because everybody knows that they've sinned. And, it, and, and, and it's consistent with what the Bible teaches. And... It's worse than that. It's worse than, okay, I'm a sinner and I've broken God's law. If there are only two sides to the line and I'm on the wrong side, I'm in trouble. See, me thinking I was not so bad gives the impression that, well, you know, I'm not in that bad group. I know I'm not in the really goody-goody group, but I'm just on the fence. Jesus says there's no fence. He says, he says you're either for me or you're, or you're against me. I'm like, but, all right, I haven't made a decision on you, Jesus, but I've not, I've not rejected you. But Jesus said, if you've not accepted me, you've already made a choice. There's no great areas. How many of you know it's up or down? It's in or out. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either going up, you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either serving God or the devil. There's, and that's what Jesus turns and says to the scribes and the Pharisees where they've been religious all their lives. And he says to them, <laughs> he says, your father is the devil. And that's the state that every individual is in outside of Knowing Christ. And it's a scary place to be. See, I'm trying to describe to you who is those that are poor. People today who have been judged by God because of their sin and been taken into spiritual captivity. Our prayer is that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's holding them captive. Can you see that? And that's why we continue to preach, to proclaim the gospel, because the devil is, <laughs> 2,000 years later, after Luke chapter 4, the devil is still here, active, taking people captive. And I don't even have to illustrate that. We can see it. And the devil's been doing this since the beginning of time, since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve? 
They were in the garden. God was in the garden. But who else was in the garden? The devil was in the garden. And then we see him later on turn up in the book of Job. chapter. You can read that in Job chapter 1 and 2. You'd be like, whoa. He was in Genesis. But all fast forward, he's in Job, which was close to the beginning of the Bible. And you remember... I suppose you fast forward now to, 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 to Luke chapter 4. 4,000 years later, remember Pastor Bertram last week talked about the beginning of this chapter where Jesus goes toe-to-toe. You'd be like, rah, this devil is here again. Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the devil, doesn't he? Hand-to-hand compact. After Jesus had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, it's like Jesus was fighting this fight with his arm tied around his back. A bit like Gladiator. I remember Gladiator. My man come down and stab him in his side and he come out. He would have murked him otherwise. You know what I mean? But my man stabbed him in his side. Oh, it's, today's all about films, isn't it? And, um, and this is, and, and you'd think, oh my gosh, it's like Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Oh no, here comes, here comes the contender, the, the, the pretender, the, the man who wants the belt from Jesus. How's Jesus got all the angels must have been leaning over heaven with white knuckles thinking, what's gonna happen? <laughs> God the Father and the Holy Spirit was. I mean the Holy Spirit was in Jesus. Um, Robert, Lord help me. Jesus contends with the devil in that wilderness and he overcomes him. Unlike Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they were tempted for 40 years. And they fell in the wilderness, didn't they? And Adam was tempted in a wonderful garden. He had his belly full. And here comes the enemy to tempt him. And he fell in a wonderful garden. Here's Jesus in a wilderness with one hand tied behind his back. And he still defeats the devil. They all fell. They sinned and they failed, they failed the test. Um, but Jesus. And, and it's crazy because the same temptation that Adam and Eve um, faced. It's the same temptation that the children of Israel faced in the wilderness. And it's the same temptation that Jesus faced earlier in, in Luke chapter 4. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Exact same temptations. Yet unlike Israel, unlike Adam, Jesus doesn't fall. He doesn't stumble. He doesn't submit. Although he's tempted in all points, yet without sin. Jesus is the new Israel. Faithful. Jesus is the new Adam. Sinless. Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Back to Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse 8, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Again, in terms of captives, Jesus said, Whoever practices sin is a what? Is a slave to sin in John. And if we're honest, we would agree with Paul the Apostle when he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? I'm a slave to sin. Can you identify with that? I know I can. Well, I've got good news for you. His name is Jesus. And we sang it earlier. What a powerful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my King, we sang. King Jesus, the mighty one who has come to set the captives free. He's also come to provide, notice, recovery of sight. Near the end of verse 18, spiritual eye surgery. 
recovery of sight to the blind. Um, myself again and Lloyd, we were talking about John Newton yesterday. You know, John Newton was a slave trader. He owned a ship and used to trans transfer slaves from the west coast of Africa um, to, to the Caribbean, transatlantic slave trade. He was a wicked man. I could tell you some stories. I went on a, on a walk this week called the Christian Heritage Walk in, in the city of London, and they take you around London and they show you all these spots and all these places of real Christian significance. Blow, it will blow your mind when you realize like how deeply steep this country is in biblical history. I was like, my mouth is wide open. And it's the third time I've been on the trip. And I'm there. Thank you, brother. And I'm there. And we get to a spot where John Newton was the pastor of the, this particular church. And one of, his, the, one, of, one of his congregation was a man called William Wilberforce. Like, I wish I could tell you the story. I don't have time. But my point, my point is John Newton, when he got converted and became a Christian... He said, I'm done with the slave trade. And they were like, what? This is where the money is. He said, I'm done with it. He says, there's no way I can keep on doing that, knowing that these individuals are made in the image of God. And it was John Newton that penned the song. We all know it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton knew what he was. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was, I was blind, but now I see. Jesus, the king, brought recovery of sight. Not to someone in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, but just a couple hundred years ago, to John Newton. And I think some of us in here can say, I, I, I know that. That recovery of sight to the blind. I was walking around like a blind man or a blind woman for years and then God opened my eyes. Opened my eyes. Recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I don't have time. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. This speaks about the year of Jubilee, if you know your Old Testament. Every 50th year in Israel, slaves were set free. Property was restored to the original owner. Imagine that. Imagine that. All debts were canceled. So if you, got, if you took out a loan on the 49th year, in the 50th year, your debt's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but people weren't evil-minded like we are. You know what I mean? They never. Well, maybe they were. Who knows? Yeah, I suppose they were. This, now, this is what this is what Jesus has now come to do in a spiritual sense. Through Jesus, for those who would repent and receive Him as King, God would, for you. God would hit the reset button, like on the year of Jubilee, healing for the brokenhearted, restoration for the rejected, cancellation of your spiritual bankruptcy. It's the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor. Can you hear the great announcement? This prophecy speaks about who the king is, what the king will do, and the fact that he has all authority. Let me see if I can roll right to the end. Watch now how Luke illustrates Jesus's authority. And this is good news. This is, this is great news. But not for everyone. Not everyone is pleased about this news. Jesus has just finished reading this in his hometown synagogue, and then they tried to kill him. And Jesus says to they tried to kill him, if you never caught that. They tried to kill him. And Jesus says to them, a prophet is never welcome in his hometown, you know. Because they'd be like, wait a minute. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? 
Ain't you that you that used to ride around on your skateboard? Like you. The Messiah, are you crazy? You know, they say familiarity breeds contempt, right? And you might get that even yourself. You become a Christian in your family. I, 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 I like what? You? What? You're a, yeah, right. Whatever. And then time, as time goes by, then hopefully they realize. And, and it's, it's mad because <clears throat> they get angry, but Jesus just rubs salt in the wounds. And he talks about prophets from the past. He mentions Elijah and Elisha. And the fact that just like the Jews of the past who didn't appreciate the message of God, <laughs> the Lord had sent those prophets, but they wouldn't listen. So God says, cool, I'll send them to others. And, and note where they went to preach. That is these two prophets. Um, just put that screen up for me, please, Pastor E. They went to Zarephath in the land of Sidon and to a Syrian named Naaman. The big, the big point is this is Israel and this isn't. The prophets of old, because Israel wouldn't listen, Judah wouldn't listen, they went to Sidon, which is in Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon. Or they went to Syria, the prophet. And Syria, modern-day Syria. <laughs> modern. Because God's people weren't listening, so Jesus rubbed salt into the wound. See, both of these places are outside of Israel. See, and the big point is this, the Gentiles will often appreciate the message before the Jews. The hookers, you know what I'm saying, the, 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 the drug dealers, you know what I mean, the gunmen, they are quicker to, to receive the, the truth of the gospel than even the religious. We've got religious people in robes and wearing big crosses ordaining homosexuals to the ministry, marrying gay couples. Now, I have nothing against gay couples specifically, but to marry them suggests that marriage is not marriage. And I'm saying there are individuals who are religious because they want to hold on to their house and their money and their authority and the fact that they can come out wearing robes. You know what I mean? Just like the scribes and the Pharisees of the past. So Jesus is like, cool. Take it to the Gentiles. And this is what happens later, if you know anything about the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible. I mean, are there any Jews in the room today? How many of you know that the, the, the gospel's gone to the Gentiles? And here we are. All non-Jews in this room, I suspect. The Jews can be very arrogant and sometimes even prejudiced. And that's a fact. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they tried to throw him off a cliff, but his time to die had not yet come. In the next section, Jesus has now traveled to the other neighboring city, not Nazareth now, but Capernaum, proclaiming the good news about his arrival and his, his coming kingdom. This time, he doesn't come up against human resistance. It's opposition now from the spiritual realm, right? Um, just go to that next slide for me. I know what, I've got five minutes left. So I'm just going to read this. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, dropped down to verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. This is mad. In church, if you like, there's a demonically possessed man. Now, <clears throat> um, what happens is he cried out with a loud voice, the demon. Demon sees Jesus. Like, ha! It's, it's funny. That's an It's not even a word. It, it's, He's like, ah! You know, often, yeah, it's 
Demons causing havoc and terrifying people. This demon is now terrified and is, 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 is ha having havoc caused upon him. He's like, ah! What have you to do with us? See, there's more than one of them. Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? Because he knows, the demon knows that this is his end eventually. There's a lot of insight in here. And again, I ain't got time right to unpack it. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God which is a reference to the Son of God, the Messiah. Verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him. See, we're talking about Jesus' authority. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Notice, there weren't no five-hour prayer meeting. <laughs> right, where they had the man in the thing and they were rubbing his head until his hair come off and... I'm just saying. You know what I mean? And you see, and, and the, point, the point of that is... Because we can read this and think, okay, well, Jesus done it and he's given me authority. Like, yeah, bro, you've got, you got a nuance that. You got a, there's, that's, that's, there's a lot in there to unpack before you say, Jesus got authority, he's called me. I'm filled with the spirit like Jesus. So, boom, I can go and do what Jesus did. No, you can't. Now, this doesn't mean that if we're confronted with evil, we shouldn't deal with it by God's grace. But we're praying like Jude, you know. When the angel, gave Michael or Gabriel? Michael. When the angel Michael stood before the, the devil over the body of Moses, he never started saying, I bind you and I, and, and, and I cast you into the lake of fire. He never said none of that. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And this brother is an, he's an, he's not even an angel. He's an archangel. And Jude says, be careful. <laughs> Jude says, be careful. I remember sometimes we'd be, we were in some prayer meetings. We were talking more to the devil than we were talking to God in the prayer meeting. Remember them days, bro? Lord, the Lord, Lord, the Lord helped us by his grace, boy. And, um, and Jesus here. See, the point is, see, this is Jesus' CV. This is not about, okay, well, you take this and you go run with it. No, let's just get, keep our focus here. This is helping us. Luke is helping us to understand who Jesus is. Yeah. And the fact that he's the king and he has all authority and you see it being displayed. You see it being displayed. Be silent. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power... He commands even the unclean spirits and they come out and reports verse 37 about him went out into every place in the surrounding region and I'm not surprised. See, this prophecy speaks about who the king is and what the king will do and the fact that he has all authority. That's why we can put our trust in him. And it doesn't... Go to that next slide for me, brother, please. Help me, Lord. Verse, verse 38, the story continues. And he arose and he left that synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. You'd be like, whoa, re rebuked the fever. I can't understand him rebuking a demon, but the fever doesn't make sense. Because fever is like a sickness, an illness. He rebuked, well, I see Jesus stand on water and rebuke the wind and the waves. He has all authority. Can you see that being communicated? He, can, he, 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 could, he could speak to that chair and say, chair, walk. He didn't, but I'm saying that's the kind of, like when you see him rebuking and, and speaking, and 
He's showing his, can you see Luke is trying to show you his authority. He rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. There was no convalescing period. She never had to take a week off work. Immediately. You see the power. You see the power. Verse 40, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick, any who were sick with various diseases, they brought them to him and he laid his hands on, notice, every one of them and healed them. And the demons came out of many. I'd be like, right, you're like, people who, you know, you know often people want to take out the scary uh, spiritual stuff out of the Bible. You can't. You can't tear that page out. You know, uh, is it um, R.C. Sproul says, any theology without, demon, with, without demonology is no biblical theology. It's in there. We, 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 and, and the devil is real. The devil is real. You know, but thank God. Jesus. Now, when the sun was set in, verse 40, all those who had any were sick. Oh, I read that, right? Verse 41, and demons also came out crying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them and he would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus wants people to get to know him, <laughs> not via the, the voice of a demon. It's his people that proclaim who he is. Next slide, E, and I'm, and I'm done. Next slide, verse 42. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for your help, man. Really helped me today. All right, it's coming. Verse 42 says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him, I'm not surprised, and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, Look, the healing is amazing. The demon-like exorcism, <laughs> fire. But notice, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose, and he was noticed preaching in the synagogues throughout Israel, in also Judea. So Jesus has a healing ministry. Jesus has a, has a ministry of exorcism, right? But that's not what he focuses on. His focus is on declaring, announcing, proclaiming the good news. Can you see that? And that should be our focus. Amen. Doesn't mean that we don't believe in healing. Because if someone's sick, we will pray for them. We'll call for the oil, like James 5. I will pray, and if God determines to do so, he will heal. Because what we pray is, Lord, if your will be done. That leaves room for, for God to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. Because he's the one with authority, not us. I don't have the right to command and demand. And, and, and you might say, but Robert, I see the apostles do that. Yes, that was to validate them and their ministry. You say, I see Paul doing it. Paul was one born out of due season. He was a, we can't put ourselves in that same category on everything. The only thing we can put in the same category is that, that we can do like them is to preach the gospel, is to proclaim God's word. See, I may not be able to cast out demons and perform miraculous healing. Although we pray for these things and seek God's power to be released through prayer, but what I can do confidently is what I've tried to do this morning slash this afternoon, which is to proclaim, to preach, to announce the gospel of the kingdom. And we see Jesus defending the faith as he proclaims the good news about the arrival of God's kingdom. We can be defenders of the faith as we proclaim the good news. The fact that Jesus is the conqueror of all kingdoms, bringing forgiveness, the good news about Jesus the king. Next Next time or next week, <clears throat> we'll see Jesus to continue to show his authority as he calls his disciples. Because he ain't called no disciples yet. 
Let's pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.